Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But if it's going in a direction, there is a right-of-way and a non-right-of-way. And I'm not talking about who has ownership, an island guy or a Howley. I'm talking about the on the wave, what's the safest and non-safest place. So when the wave is peeling, let's say it's going left, and you're hanging a left on this thing. If you're closest to it and the wave is going this way, the right thing to do, anybody who would take off on your same wave, and some of them do, you've seen the surf movies, etc. When you're watching that happen, generally if this wave is caving in and this guy's having a problem, the other people on the outside of that wave need to what we call kick out, okay, or kick back. But for whatever reason, I had a new surfer guy, all right, a Grimmy. He's on this side, and he's enjoying his wave, and so he thinks he wants to just shred over to my side of the wave, so he kicks over here, and this wave's coming down, and I don't have any room to go with him without hitting him. This wave's going to just nail me over here, so I'm yelling, kick out, kick out, and he wouldn't. And so all I could do was bail. So when I bail, because he did not yield to me who had the right of way on the wave, I went down. Now, this was going to date me. This is the days they didn't have leashes, okay? So when you don't have a leash, the first thing you do when you come back up, you look to the beach because the wave takes it in the beach, and you hate that because you got that long swim. That's why they have leashes today. Wish I'd invented a leash. I'd be a millionaire. We'd have a brand new building, people. I'd buy you a new building. We'd hire everybody else to do the work for us. But anyway, I didn't invent that. I do remember I looked up. My board wasn't out there. I couldn't see it near the beach at all. I looked all around, couldn't see it. So no big deal. It must be behind me. It popped up, went back. As soon as I did, the next wave took the bit and slammed the board right into my head and knocked all my, my front teeth out, just gone. Now, just to show you young people how stupid and immature I was, I was more concerned about the ding in my surfboard and how I'm going to fix that and is it going to take in water and make it heavy and off balance. And I'm talking like this. And then I woke up and realized I've got to show this to my mom and dad, you know. My point is... You don't yield, things happen. And for us, God has a mechanism in place and he has what's called a chain of responsibility. Some people call it a chain of authority maybe. But whatever you might want to call it, there is a chain of way of doing things that God has set up in his mechanism to do this. And yieldedness for those that are under is very much a part of that. The question though is why should I do that? If you go back to the passage, it tells me why I should do it. It's not just because there's a mechanism and I'm better off because of it. In the passage it says, for the Lord's sake, and to do that. Would you find that in the passage and underline that? Because some of us might need to remember the reason I yield is not just so that life is better for me. Because sometimes you're going to yield, and it may not be better for us, but we do it for the Lord's sake. We do it because of Him. Peter writes, he says, as governors are sent by Him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Eugene Peterson, in the message, puts it this way, and I like the way he wrote it. He says this, Make the master in heaven proud of you. Be good citizens. Respect authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. Funny story was told, I read about it, about a guy who got saved, but he kept getting speeding tickets. And so the pastor says, how come you keep getting speeding tickets and you're saved and you want to be so different? He says, well, God saved everything but my right foot. Well, that's I, I, not the case, but maybe a little bit. God has most of us, but we haven't given and yielded everything of ours to Him. And maybe for you, it's a right foot. Some of you, it could be your tongue. Others, it could be your eyes. If I could suggest all of us, it should be our heart. Think about that.
Peter goes on to say, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, the government. So let me quickly give you three ways to show you're an authentic Christian in this passage. Not the only three, but in this passage. First of all, show respect for everybody. What bothers me the most is when I know that there's prejudice out there, when I know that there's this division between races, etc. And I hope that we realize it's a sin problem and not a skin problem. And those of you that are guests in our church, I want you to know I love, I absolutely am so grateful that Jim Cook, who founded this church, called it international. I love that term international because it really screams of mosaic. We don't care what your ethnic background is. You are accepted. No, no, no. You're wanted here. We want you here. You are part of the beautiful kaleidoscope of color, the beautiful aroma of different foods, the different viewpoints of life. We want you here because you fulfill us. You complete us. You don't finish us off. And so I love that about that. And I pray that we continue that same attitude that whoever walks up there, we really love them and we respect them as being part of God's creation. And then when they come to know Christ as Savior, they move to our brothers, sisters. Number two, we're to love Christians everywhere. Love Christians everywhere. I hesitated putting these in here because we do so well at this, but I thought maybe for some that are still struggling with this, we remember that in the context here, it does say to honor everyone and love the brotherhood. And I would say just to you, because I love you, is there anyone that you still have a wall up against that you cannot authentically love? Now, it doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to agree with every point that they believe, but it does mean that you're willing to sacrifice, to reach out to them, to add value to their life if they will permit you to do that. Love the brotherhood. And it didn't say just love your wife or love your husband or love your kids. It didn't just say love your church. It said love the brotherhood wherever they might be. And may I say this? I sometimes find it easier to love people that are Christians that are further from my circle of influence than it is those that are up close. Do you sometimes find that? If so, say, uh-huh. We struggle with that. And guess what? This passage doesn't define it. It doesn't draw the boundaries. It just says love the brotherhood, period, end of subject. Number three, fear God and honor the government. We talked a lot about that. But I think maybe for some of you that need to know that was written in a context, when Peter wrote that, you have to understand, he wrote this long passage, and maybe he spent more time on this passage of honoring the government, yielding to the government, doing all you should for the government. It's because he was speaking to a group of people that at that time were getting ready to receive an avalanche of incredible amount of persecution that was specifically unleashed upon them from the government. And he was telling them to respect that government. People are watching you. And how important that is. Because when you obey the government, you're obeying God. Let me move quickly. Peter goes on to say after he leaves those three, he talks about the relationship on your job. And he writes, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And here's why I only have one question to ask you. Do you realize how much the way you work on your work demonstrates the authenticity of your Christianity? Do you realize that? I hope you do. All right, let's go on to number three. We talked about the importance here of keeping away from temptation, yielding to authority, but here's the last one. And I like the way that it moves from the first part, keeping away from temptation, then it talks about yielding. That's a little difficult, but not as difficult sometimes as yielding to those that are in authority. But now it comes to trusting God in suffering. This is an entire sermon itself, and I'm not going to unpack this as much as I'd like to because we're going to talk about suffering a little bit later on in another sermon, but this is what's really important. Do you realize that when, when all hell breaks loose against you, when God opens up 
to you, not the windows of heaven, but all of his experiences for you to go through some times of tremendous testing and trials, that it's at that time that you really are able to prove to the world what you're really made of. You don't have to deny the fact that you're in pain. You don't have to deny the fact that you've got problems. Both problems or pain are permitted in our life to help us to, at that moment to question, I don't mean doubt, but question, our commitment to the Lord. Are we really that committed? Did we really say what we meant, what we said when we said we trusted Christ, but we also want to live for Christ? And then it questions or not our faith. What level is our faith? Does it need to stretch a little bit more? Is it weaker than I thought it was? Do I need to humble myself? Do I need to go back to the Word? So when we go through suffering, it'll do all of that. And it'll affect every single one of us because we're all going to go through suffering. I wish I had the time to pray it in front of you right now. People that are carrying tremendous burdens just in their own families, just on their jobs, just with their health, just with their finances, just this last week even. They're going through some form of suffering and don't say, that's the lightest thing. You don't have any idea. No, it's not, I'll show you your scar. You show me your scar and I'll show you my scar and I'm going to outscar you. No matter what it is, it's going to be tough. We're all going to go through that and God says so. Look, if you will, in verse 21, it says, For this to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So I asked myself, okay, if I'm going to suffer, I need a model. Who's going to be my model? All right, there's no greater model than the Lord, because nobody suffered more than the Lord. Nobody was more tempted than the Lord, so he is my model. So if he's my model, now watch carefully, listen now. If he's my model, then whatever he did, he left me steps that I should follow. I know there was all this, what would Jesus do? And they talked about everything else. But in the context, it was, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? How did he do this in suffering? And so I looked to Christ. Now, some of you are going to say, but I can't do that. Christ could do that because he's God. He had all the power to do that. Well, watch. All the power that Jesus has, you have now in you, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, including the resurrection power. And so you have all the power necessary to endure whatever suffering you're going through. Because Jesus went through the ultimate of suffering, he went through it, so you have more power, listen, more power, more strength, more ability to go through your suffering because your suffering will never be as bad as Jesus' suffering. You have extensive amount of ability in Christ, so you can't do it in yourself. So he left us an example so we can follow this. So how did he do this? Look, if you will, this is, I'm going to give you the practical, not just this existential Jesus did it, so you do it. Let me give you the practical. It says, he committed no sin. So maybe the first thing you need to do is to know, am I suffering today because of wrong choices that I made because of sin in my life and now I'm having to pay the piper? And if you have, confess it to the Lord, humble yourself so he can begin to exalt you through that and get you out of it. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So in other words, he didn't deny he had suffering. He didn't lie about it. He didn't Pollyanna this thing. There was no deceit in his mind. There was no lying, no spin on this thing. He didn't overblow it either. Some of you are drama queens and kings. You want all the sympathy you can, so whatever you go through, you, you, it's, it's all a drama about you, okay? So you want to be honest, no deceit. Then he says, when he was reviled, in this particular suffering, before he ever went to the cross, he was reviled. What did he do? He closed his mouth. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, now this is more than being spoken against. There's a suffering, emotional and physical, going on now. He did not threaten. How many of you have ever threatened to get even with that other person? You've threatened maybe that you didn't threaten that person directly. You told someone else that you're going to get even with that person. I'm going to call an attorney. I'm going to call, the, I'm going to, and all of a sudden, I'm going to make sure he feels the pain that I'm feeling. Jesus never did that. But he continued, underline this. But Jesus continued entrusting himself to him, which would be God, who judges justly. So in other words, he trusted God. That's my point of this. 
when you're going through the suffering, whatever it might be, the only way out of that is to, first of all, clean your own clock for a moment. Humble yourself through this all. Realize that Jesus Christ has given you all the strength. Now do what he did when he was going through this horrible time of suffering. Reviled, emotional, physical. He then gave it up to the Father. He gave it up to God, the Father. So at that time, you're going to say, all right, Lord, whatever little bit of faith I have, I'm going to put it in the only great God, you. And Lord, just I'm trusting you to give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me the, the ability to go through this. And, and Lord, give me the perseverance because I think this suffering is going to be around for a while and I need your strength to endure this. So you want to know how it's that intimate relationship with the Lord that we talk about here so often. I like what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message. He says it this way. He suffered in silent, content to let God set things right. Jesus suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Now look up here, folks. I know, I know our nature is because we go to all these movies that show the bad guy, and at the end of the movie, if it's a real bad guy, then he gets a real bad death. How many know what I'm talking about, okay? That's the case. And we think, okay, he's going to get his, his due. I'm going to tell you that some of you are going to go through suffering. It's going to be suffering for a long time, and you will never see your due until you get to heaven. Some of your trusting is not going to be, okay, Lord, deliver me this week, if not next week, but for sure at the end of the month. In fact, I almost can promise you that your suffering could even get worse. But I can promise you as I make that statement, your suffering will never be more than what you can handle or at least have an escape. That's the kind of God that you and I have. I hope that would be the case for all of us. I'm going to read this testimony about a woman who's gone through suffering and because she was willing to let her integrity stand before the lost world, here's how she endured her suffering. Listen. For 20 years, Dr. Helen Rosenver was a medical missionary to the Congo. In 1964, when the Simba Rebellion occurred, she was attacked and captured by rebel forces. She was beaten repeatedly, and she was raped repeatedly, a Christian medical missionary. A few years later, she had this to say in an interview about that experience, and I'm quoting from the interview. The rebels had decided to execute several of us. Only too quickly the moment came when we were actually standing in front of the firing line. If someone had asked me earlier if I could be a martyr, I would have answered, no, I'm not built that way. I don't think any of us are, really. But as we were facing those guns, certain to be killed at any second, we were actually singing the praises of God. We suddenly, and I love this, experienced God's presence and joyfully anticipated our reunion with Him in heaven. God simply swept our fears away. Miraculously, at the last moment, the rebels decided not to execute us. In fact, I can remember one other late night experience when this overwhelming consciousness of God's presence came to me. That He was there and He was in charge. And then He knew what was happening. It was almost as if He said to me, They're not beating you or raping you. These are not your sufferings. These are my sufferings. All I'm asking is the loan of your body. Later on, remember, 1964, in 1981, she goes on to say, I had breast cancer. I was 36 years old. My mother had died 32 years earlier at the age of 36 with cancer. 
1983, I had a second mastectomy and learned that my husband was having a midlife crisis affair. In 1986, our bright, beautiful 18-year-old son took his life. No warning, no sign that he had been unhappy. My husband and I were at home when he quietly hung himself in the basement. In 1988, after 21 years of what I thought was a good marriage, my husband moved in with his Friday night rendezvous. Because of all the hell we'd been through, I was certain nothing can break us apart. When he left me, the pain was gut-wrenching. But I got through it. How have I overcome all this grief in my life? It was due to the help I received and loving support of my church family, my family, and friends. Here it is. But above all, it was my belief in the presence of God in my life. So we want to have integrity. It begins from the inside out, recognizing that God sees everything. And the temptations that are before us, He knows they're going to be there. He's been tempted, but He's given us a way of escape He's given us speakers like us today that are telling you, avoid it, flee it. He says there's going to be times that you're going to be under an authority figure that you do not like. But he says at the same time, as a testimony to the world, you show a submissive spirit and handle it properly. You love everybody and then you also submit to your bosses when they're not right. Now yes, you don't do sin. You're not a doormat. Just a yielded Christian because you're yielding to God. And then finally, because we will suffer, at that moment, we clean ourselves. We humble ourselves. We give ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just loaning you my body. I'm loaning you my life because my life is already hid in you and I have a home in heaven. So I guess I ask you a question. What do you think your obituary is going to look like when you die? What will they say about you? Because what they say will be often what they've heard you say or what you did. And it's going to be in front of other people. It's integrity. People are watching. Many of you have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize person who started it all. His name was Alfred Nobel. You know the story? What you probably don't know is this. Nobel was the one who invented dynamite. One day he was reading in the newspaper. And while he was reading in the newspaper, there was a journalistic error. What had happened is they attributed the death of his brother as actually a, that Alfred himself died. And so they were putting in the obituary of Alfred instead of his brother, Peter. And he was reading his own obituary that said this. Let me read it to you. It was found in the newspaper. Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. He was a manufacturer of weapons. He was a merchant of death. He was so shocked when he read his own obituary in there. He says, I do not want to be known for the rest of my life that I invented dynamite and I'm a merchant of death. So at that time, he gave himself completely to change his image, his reputation. He wanted to have the integrity to say, I want to be known for a person of peace. And today we have the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know that you'll ever be able to give out the Peace Prize but I know that you and I can do whatever we want with our integrity by our choices. And I hope that today's message brought a, a little bit more of a desire to say, Lord, people are watching and I'm grateful that they are because, Lord, I'm going to let you live your life out through me. I'm loaning you me. And you can do whatever you want so that I can impact the world for Jesus Christ. That is my worship to you. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I want to give you all a moment of an opportunity to really connect with the Lord right now. Maybe between you and the Lord, you might say that, you know, I look over my life and it's filled with high points and low points, but I know that I have missed the mark of whatever goodness, total goodness is all about. I am not perfect. Don't run from that. That's okay. All of us can say that we've missed the mark of God's perfection and that we've sinned in our life and our thought, talk, and walk. We're a sinner by nature and by choice. And God says, though, because we're sinners, we're separated from Him and we'll spend eternity separated from Him and, and now we're doomed. And He says, I, I, I want you to have a relationship with me, but you can't by any good deeds you do. I have to give you that relationship. And what you have to do is simply say this to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the only Lord who died and rose again. And by his blood, death on the cross, he satisfied the payment for my sin when he died in my place. And now he is willing to forgive me of all my sin once and for all, big, little, small sins, the visible ones and the invisible ones, that he's willing to give me a completely brand new, recreated life again. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you as a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm not coming to you promising you that I'll start this or stop that. But I'm going to believe that Jesus Christ is going to be my forever Savior. And I want to thank you for giving to me eternal life. Now, however you say that in your own words, as long as in your heart you realize it is not trusting Christ and good works. It is not good works. It is only placing your faith as little and as shaky as it might be in Jesus Christ, who is the rock. And he says, once you trust me, you will be in my forever family. Is there anyone in here that have come to a point in their life that realized that I know God has seen my heart and I need the forgiveness of my sin and I want to be in his forever family. And so Lord, I, I'm ready to trust you and I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and I'm walking out of here knowing now that I'm going to heaven because of what you've done and I'm counting on you to do it and you're a God who cannot lie. Is there anyone that would like me to pray for you? Uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Now, raising your hand doesn't do anything magical or mystical. Me praying for you won't help you one bit to get into heaven. But raising your hand is a silent way to let me know that today is the day. Today is the day of your new recreation. Your new relationship with Christ. Your new assurance that you know you're going to heaven. Because you placed your faith in Christ. And you did it without any good deeds. And then when I pray for you, I'm just thanking God that you're in the family already because once you trusted Christ, you're there. You're in it forever. And you can't be cast out. Is there anyone in here now that would say by a silent, uplifted hand that today is the day you trusted Christ as your forever Savior and you're glad He's in your life now and you want me to pray for you? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Put it up, put it down. God bless you. Thank you, man. All right. For the rest of you, did the Holy Spirit speak to you? I know He spoke to me. When I put this message together, I don't have to parade all my issues in front of you, but we're all growing, and I want to be growing. But did the Lord speak to you like He spoke to me? First, I have to ask the question, are you ready to man up and woman up and to say, yeah, I know people are watching. I, I now I realize that. I watch them. But if they are, and since they are, I want to give them something to really see. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus Christ living his life out through me, I want to keep away from temptation.
and I want to yield to the authority figures in my life properly. And I want to trust the Lord more when I go through suffering. And I know by doing this, then I will be showing authentic Christianity. How many of you would like to have prayer because that's where you would like to be? And so you're going to take a baby step today and then tomorrow and the next day you're going to go over your notes again and seek God's help so that from the inside out these things are living reality character traits. How many of you would like to have prayer because God really spoke to you today? Would you slip up your hand, anyone? Amen. Amen. Many hands. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this. I thank you for those people in our life who live these truths out already so that we could trust them and they influenced us. And now we're at the point that we're receiving those truths in our life, keeping away from temptation and yielding to authority and trusting in you when we go through suffering. Because we know now people are watching us and we want to have a better influence in the lives of our husbands, our wives, our kids, our in-laws, our neighbors, our fellow workers, our classmates, our team members. And so Lord, help us to be different from the inside out. For your sake, in your name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.